We want to welcome you today. Hey, we're in this series that we're calling Pirates. It's called Pirates because we're having a conversation, a frank conversation about treasure. And our title of this morning is uh, X Marks the Spot. We're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're a, a proactive person, you can find that in your Bible and put your thumb there or um, turn on your whatever your device and find it. At the start of this series, we handed out these uh, Chinese finger traps. And um, one of the things we, we most want you to understand in this series is that when it comes to your money and your stuff, and this is so important, don't miss this, God does not primarily want something from you. Isn't that good news? Amen. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? <laughs> God does not primarily want something from you. What we really want you to understand is that God wants something for you, which is blessing that you'd find real peace and freedom with regard to your treasure. And and when we realize that truth, we begin to realize that uh, money and stuff is something about which most people only experience stress. And bondage. Now, the reason we handed out these finger traps was to illustrate the truth that we all have this tendency to pull away uh, from God. We pull away from His wisdom, pull away from what He has to say about our finances because we believe the lie that God only wants something from us and not something for us. But when we do that, we find ourselves more trapped more in bondage than ever before. So in order to get free, instead of pulling away, you've got to push in. Push into what God has to say about your money, about your possessions, rather than doing the same old thing over and over again, pulling away from the one who alone offers freedom. And by the way, as Evan mentioned earlier, I want to remind you that uh, two weeks from today, We're going to begin offering Financial Peace University. Uh, My hope is that everybody at LifePoint would go through Financial Peace University. Regardless of where you are with your giving and financial decisions, stewardship, any of that, I would strongly encourage you to consider taking this course. And we've offered it many times in the past. Several of you have been through it. Um, But um, if you've not been through Financial Peace, I would strongly encourage that you give that uh, consideration. And let me say that if you've, if you've taken Financial Peace University before and you just like to revisit it, do a refresher, that's, that's probably a great idea. Uh, you can come, just bring the materials that you got previously and you can take it as a refresher course uh, at no charge to you and participate fully in the discussions. Well, the principle that runs through this entire series is this, that what we think we own is really on loan. Would you say that out loud with me? What we think we own is really on loan. And even our breath, even the breath in our lungs, Genesis 2 says, is given to us from God. And so we've observed together that that what all pirates seem to have in common is that they are uncommonly possessive of the possessions of others. So that when we act like owners instead of managers of what God has given us on loan, we're also acting like pirates. And when we fail to live in light of the realization that that even our very breath is on loan, 
God says that we are being foolish. Now, we've been discussing the truth that God is the owner of everything. That it all be his. We're simply managers of, of what the owner has given us on loan. And managers ask a different question than owners ask. Managers ask, what would the owner have me do with his treasure? What would the owner have me do with his treasure? You know, uh, when it comes to money and stuff, a lot of people want to separate the spiritual from the material. Especially the spiritual from the financial, don't they? But the Bible takes a very different view, which is that the way that we choose to use our stuff, whether it's financial or material, is central to our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth. And that's kind of the direction we want to go this morning and to think about that. I would encourage you sometime to read Luke chapters 11 through 21, because in those chapters there are 13 stories about how our finances interface with our spiritual life. That is, how our relationship to our treasure interfaces with our relationship with God. That's Luke 11, chapters 11 through 21. Well, I mentioned earlier that we're going to look at Luke chapter 16, 1 through 15. You want to keep your finger there because we're going to spend some time together there this morning, but would you stand with me and let's read the passage together. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, 
You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is his word. You may be seated. Well, that's a big story. But in order to grasp what's taking place at the start of this story, this parable that Jesus taught his disciples, I want you to picture a conversation that might take place on any golf course in America, any day of the week, between a business owner and one of his clients. And and the two of them are walking up the fairway, and the client says to the business owner, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about something, uh, and it's this, that I'd, I'd recommend that you pay attention to the activities and the business practices of your financial manager because there are serious rumors circulating about his personal integrity, his business, business ethics. So, man, just a, just a word to the wise. Keep an eye on that guy. Take a hard look at what he's doing because he is, in my opinion, taking unfair advantage of his position. And he doesn't have your best interest or the best interest of your company at heart. So, of course, uh, as soon as the owner arrives back at the office, he calls his financial manager into his office, begins to interrogate him. What's this I've been hearing about you? So, three things I want to tell you. One, I've figured out what you've been doing. Number two, you're fired. And number three, I want a complete audit of your books on my desk by tomorrow morning or I'm going to consider taking legal action against you. So, of course, the manager is stunned. He's panicked. He, he says, I just lost my job. What am I going to do now? Just got my MBA from Jerusalem University. That was quite a while ago. Now I'm just a pudgy office boy. I... I got carpal tunnel from working at the computer and back problems from sitting at a desk most of my life. Can't do physical labor, so manual labor's out of the question, and I'll take unemployment before I'll beg. This business is all I know how to do. But he's a smart guy. He's a shrewd guy, and eventually he settles himself down, and he begins to think and strategize, and at a moment of sudden clarity... The light goes on and and he conceives a plan and he says to himself, I know what I'll do. In fact, if this works, and it will, at the end of the day tomorrow, when I walk out of here without a job, I'll have plenty of security in my future. There will be people who will welcome me into their places of business. I'll be able to find a job just about anywhere. So he's got 24 hours or less to hedge his bets, leverage his future. So he he calls in every client who owes money to the owner. And he asks the first, how much do you owe us? And the debtor answers, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager says, dude, that's, that's a lot of money. How are you going to pay that off? I mean, the price of oil is like through the roof. And the debtor says, I I know, man, I I don't have that kind of money. I could maybe have afforded it when it was $2 a gallon, but 
Who saw this coming? Look, please, please don't send me to debtor prison. Please, please, please. Don't sell my wife and children into slavery. I'll figure out a way to pay it all back. So the manager says, well, hey, you know, we we care about our customers here. We understand that times are hard, so here's what I'm going to do for you today. Just sit down and write us a check for 450 gallons. The debtor says, you... You're going to let me cut my debt in half? I mean, I, I owe you for 900 and you're going to let me pay 450 and call it square? Why would you do that? Well, because we really care about our customers. Do you have authority to do that? Yeah. So the debtor writes him a check for the amount. He says, are you sure we're even? You're going to clear my debt and I'm going to be out of debt when I walk out of here? Yeah. Man, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. I thought I was dead, man. You just saved my life. You just gave me my future back. You're one of the most generous people I have ever known. Hey, if there's ever anything I can do for you, If you ever find yourself in a bind, you just call me. Here's my card. And that's an inside line. You can call me directly. The manager replies, well, it's not happening right now, but if it ever does, you can be sure I'll call. And he asks the second debtor, how much do you owe? The guy says, well, I owe you a thousand bushels of wheat. Manager says, wow, that drought last year hit a lot of people hard, didn't it? I'm really so sorry about your situation. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Take your bill and make it 800. And the guy replies, 800, man, that's a a 20% markdown. Who does that kind of thing? Are you serious? Why would you do that? Manager replies, well... We just really care about our customers. And we want to take care of you and also ensure a continued relationship. So, so if you'll just write a check for $800, we will call it even. And the debtor says, wow, that's amazing. I mean, with this economic downturn, we just couldn't figure out how we we're going to pay that debt. And at that kind of reduction, I, I, I think it's going to be doable. So here's a check. For 800 I, I don't know how to thank you, but, but if there's anything I can ever do for you, or anything my company can do for you, you, you just let me know. We'll be there for you. And so that manager made deal after deal after deal like that, taking reduced payment and securing his own future. Just imagine imagine Jesus' disciples are hearing this story. And they had to have been saying to themselves at at that point, what a cheat. This guy repeatedly undercut 
the owner of the company, essentially robbed him of what he was owed. The guy's a total thief. I can hardly wait to hear what Jesus says about this man. Jesus continued, the master commanded the dishonest manager. Go figure. I mean, you say, what? You got to be kidding me. The guy was a pirate, totally dishonest. He was ripping off his owner. The dude just gave away 30 to 40% of his owner's wealth. How can Jesus commend him? Verse 8 says, the master commanded, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now listen to this statement. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Will you notice with me that Jesus identifies two kinds of people here. He calls them the people of the world and the people of the light. Say that with me. The people of the world and the people of the light. Go ahead and underline those phrases in your Bible. Now here's some characteristics of the people of this world. They believe that this life is really all there is. Their motto is, you, you only go around in once in life, so you've got to grab all the gusto you can. You've got to look out for number one. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And when we're dead and buried, nothing more happens than that our bodies rot and become worm food. And they have a theme song that goes like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. You. I'll be here all week. By contrast, here are some characteristics of the people of the light. The people of the light believe that there is a God in heaven who is sovereign over all the universe and yet is personal, who loves us, who invites us into a vital personal relationship with himself through personal faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. People of the light believe that this life is not all that there is, that the 70 to 80 or more years that that we live on the earth are given very different meaning and purpose, different values, different priorities than the people of the world understand because there is so much more to life when this earthly existence comes to an end. The people of the life believe that, that whoever by simple Faith, believe in Jesus Christ, can have confidence that when this body gives in and, and this life is over, that they will enter into a whole new dimension of existence in the presence of God that the Bible calls eternal life. 
But Jesus said that the people of this world are more shrewd, they're more clever, cunning, and canny. They're often more crafty when it comes to their business dealings with other people of the world than are the people of the light. So let's come back to our story. The financial manager in our story realizes that that at this point in his life and career, he needed to leverage his current assets to secure his future. And so he does deal after deal after deal to ensure that he'll have some friends when he needs them. So the next day, he's walking along the street after being fired, maybe with a maybe with his box in his hand from his, from his desk. And he sees the guy he did the oil deal with. And the oil guy sees him and smiles and asks, Hey, what's up? Well, you know, the economy's tough and the company's going through a downsizing of one. And, and you know how it is, man. I'm out looking for a job. The oil guy says, well, you're kidding me. Why didn't you just tell me? You could have called me. I I told you I would do anything for you. You saved me a lot of money. In fact, you saved my life. Hey, I got it. Why don't you you come and work for me? I'll match whatever you're making. I mean, we need people like you in our company. Well, actually, I've had several job offers today. Because I helped a lot of people yesterday. I'm already being offered a little bit more. Well, all right. I'm happy to pay you a little bit more. Just come on over to the office and we'll talk. We, we need people like you. And Jesus said this guy was one shrewd dude. A little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity, and he leveraged it to secure his future. So here's the first principle if you're taking notes today. The way you live in view of eternity reveals your true identity. The way you live in view of eternity reveals your true identity, whether you are a person of the world or a person of the light. See, the people of the light believe that there is life beyond this life, that that this life is not all there is. And so they live not just for time, but also for eternity. Hey, when you came in this morning, you, you found one of these in your chair. How many of you already ate them? All right, good for you. You're probably drooping from that sh- initial sugar rush, and now you're falling asleep. They're all the same size this morning. Did you notice that? So, yeah, that's a big box, but you didn't get that one, did you? No, no. So what's a dot? What's well, an artificially fruit-flavored gumdrop, of course, right? When I was in middle school math class, you guys remember middle school? Some of you are in middle school. Middle school, you know, some lights start going on. Opposite sex starts looking a little different to you, and things just start changing. <laughs> it's a weird time of life. When I was in a middle school math class, I was introduced for the first time to this concept that a line is an imaginary plane that theoretically has no beginning and no end. 
And it blew my mind a little bit to imagine something that was truly infinite. Later, as a university student, I read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Any of you read that? A little less literate crowd here in the second hour. Sorry, it's just true. No, very few hands went up. (laughs) Go home and read. Well, in those stories, those three books, uh, Paralandra, Out of the Silent Planet, and That Hideous Strength, in those books, there were angel-like creatures that were depicted as bright, glowing lines that that reached down from heaven and intersected the earth. No beginning and no end. So a line is a representative of eternity, or, or in the immortal words of um, Buzz Lightyear, <laughs> infinity and beyond. See, mathematically speaking, then, a, a dot... That's why you have these boxes today. A dot is a single point on a line. You with me? This morning I want you to think about your life as being like that dot. A single spot, nothing more than a momentary blip on a timeline that extends inexorably into eternity. With that in mind, let me ask you this important question this morning. Are you living for the dot or for the line? Are you living for the dot or for the line? Are you living for time or for eternity? See, here's some of what the Bible says about the dot. James 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Peter put it this way, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Our brief lives are like a dot on the line of eternity. The dot represents what I can do now then in order to accomplish an eternal purpose. It represents all of my opportunity to make a difference for eternity. See, Christ followers, the the people of the light, live not just for time, but for eternity. Are you living for the dot or for the line? So to repeat the first principle or application this morning, the way you live in view of eternity reveals your true identity whether you are a person of the world or a person of the light. See, Jesus gives different advice to the people of the light. He says we should have a different relationship with our money and a different goal, a different purpose, a different end for the use of our money. I tell you, the people of the light, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. When I was a kid, my mom would quote this to me every now and then, and I'd say, what the heck are you talking about? 
And then she'd wash out my mouth with lava soap for saying heck. (laughs) You know, heck is where people go who don't believe in gosh. You understand that, right? (laughs) Here's what it is. It's a play on words. Jesus is making a play on words. The shrewd manager said, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Houses, in this case, means places of business, not not residences. So Jesus says, I tell you, the people of the light, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's the second principle this morning. Worldly treasure, then, is a tool. Worldly treasure is a tool. Jesus says to us, wealth is a tool that God has given you on loan so that you would put it to use for eternal purposes. What you think you own is really on loan. People don't die rich, they just die. Jesus tells his followers, leverage worldly wealth in order to gain friends for yourselves so that when the money is gone, it's meant to be spent, and life is over, there will be people who will celebrate your arrival in heaven and who will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Something that we have in common with the people of this world is that we have this life We have a little bit of time. We have a little bit of opportunity. We have a little bit of treasure. And Jesus is saying, don't leverage any of that just for the dot. Leverage it for the line. Don't use it for just the moment. Use it for eternity. Don't live for the dot. Live for the line. The people of the world say, it's all about me and here and now. But Jesus says that for the people of the light, it's all about them, others, and there, and then. We're called to live according to a very different orientation. Your worldly wealth, all the, all the treasure, all the money, all the material possessions that you have have been given to you on loan from God as a tool to be used to see that the lives of people in your generation, in, in, within the dot in which you've been placed in time, in history, are changed for eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you're called to leverage your assets, to invest your treasure, to share your skittles, to distribute your cookies, your stuff, to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. It's 2019. Have you you kind of stopped? I mean, I'm getting to the age where every year I kind of go, ooh, another year. (laughs) The return of Jesus is just around the corner, closer than it's ever been. It's time for the people of the light to wake up smell the coffee. See, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. Like, who will be there in heaven then because of what you are doing now? With the treasure the owner has given you on loan to invest for his purposes. 
who will be in heaven because you chose to live not for the dot, but instead you chose even when it was hard, even when it was inconvenient, even when it involved sacrifice, and kept on choosing to live for the line. I mean, just imagine when you're in heaven and someone walks up to you and says, Scott, thank you so much for giving. Because in a way that you could never understand, in a way I could never understand, but I only understand now looking back from the perspective of eternity, what you gave resulted in a chain reaction that that led to my being able to hear the gospel. And my life was changed and I'm here in heaven now because of you, Scott. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How loud will the applause when you enter heaven be because of the way you used your money here that resulted in them being there? Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we Americans are conditioned to think, if I just had this, fill in the blank, my life would be complete. If I just had this, I'd be happy. Every commercial you watch on television has that goal to to guide you into that self-talk. But imagine something that that you, or not imagine, but just think back to something that, that you had to have. I got a list of things I want. Think about something you had to have and, and you were willing to go into debt for it. But then a time went by and you sold it at a garage sale or you just threw it in the trash. And it's an interesting thing to go to the Thurston County landfill and, and see items that were once the stuff of people's dreams. Appliances, countertops, cabinets, televisions, computers, computer games, junk just tossed. I heard a statistic recently that I didn't believe at first until I researched it and realized that it was based on some pretty hard data that well over 90%, 90% of what is purchased by Americans is in the garbage dump within six months of purchase. The other stuff is in all the storage units that are going up all over the place. So here's the third principle. The worldly treasure is not only a tool, it's a test. It's a test. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So... If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Notice that, that he said that worldly wealth is not true riches. 
If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a pirate in small things, you'll be a pirate in big things. When you, what you think you own is really on loan, it's a question of trust. Are you living for the dot or for the line? It's a question of orientation. How many of you this morning would say you want more? Be honest. More money? Huh? Switched to Geico and got more. More money? We all do. Heart of hearts, truth be known, because we're Americans. If At one time or another, all of us have had the, the thought, if I just had more, then I could be more generous. If I just had more, then I could do more. If I just had more, I could invest more. Here's what Jesus says. I gave you what I gave you. I gave you the bag of Skittles that was in your seat. And the question is not how much, because there's always more where that came from. See, God is the owner of everything. He's not poor. He can provide everything you need. The question is, are you being trustworthy with what I entrusted to you? With what I gave you? Are you doing what I asked you to do with what I've already given you? It's a test. Why would you expect me to give you more if you can't be trustworthy with what I've already given you? See, the test is a a matter of the condition, the posture, if you will, of your heart, not primarily a matter of the level of your income. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you've been a pirate, who will trust you with true riches? If you can't handle worldly wealth, the easy stuff, who will trust you with the harder stuff? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here's a perplexing insight. The way that we handle our money on earth affects in a way that we don't fully understand our experience in eternity. And here's what I know some of you have been saying to God. God, you can have my family. You can have my Sundays. You can even have Wednesday night for a life group. But keep your hand out of my pocket. Keep your hand out of my pocket. And for some of you, your spiritual development is stalled at the moment for this reason, that you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and say, God, I'll talk with you about anything but my money and my stuff. Some of you may struggle with whether Tithing, for example, is actually a New Testament standard. The fact is that Jesus affirmed it, but he asked for far more than your tithe. In fact, here's what Jesus said. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And don't you just wish he hadn't said that? See, Jesus wants our hearts. 
Because your heart determines the course of your whole life. And here's the deal. It is impossible. Jesus is trying to tell us to be a fully devoted disciple without being a fully developed steward. Jesus said, where your treasure be, there be ye heart. Ark. Because Jesus talks like a pirate. Where ye treasure be, there be ye heart. Your heart will always, always, always pursue what it treasures. Principle number four is in verse 13. The test is a test of ownership. The test is a test of ownership. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and your bank account. What you think you own is really on loan. No one can serve two owners. Verse 15, Jesus pointed out that much of what society sees and calls monumental God sees through and calls monstrous. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus like they usually were. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Jesus says, in effect, you guys are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others. But God knows what's behind the facade. The Pharisees were card-carrying members of the how-do-we-look cult. So here in closing are, are some things that are true. First, God knows what's behind your facade as well. And he sees behind the mask. Sometimes, sometimes, even we Christians use money as some kind of mark of maturity. Second, the way you manage the treasure that God the owner has given you on loan reveals everything, everything about how you view both time and eternity. How you view the dot and the line. The way you manage the treasure God, the owner, has given you on loan reveals what you believe about him. And the way you manage the treasure that God, the owner, has given you on loan reveals what you really believe about the necessity of the cross of Jesus Christ, what you really believe about the gospel and its power for your life. The way you manage the treasure that God, the owner, has given you on loan reveals how highly you value people and your sense of urgency about the people for whom Christ died. I'm going to close in just a moment, but here's what I want you to remember today. Just, Just a little overview. First of all, remember this. The worldly treasure is a tool for eternity. Worldly treasure is a tool for eternity. So go home, have a conversation with yourself or if you're married with your spouse, your family, and ask questions like this, what do we have 
that we can use as a tool to be leveraged for eternity? It might be your home, your yard, your apartment, clubhouse, sporting equipment, boats, vehicles, cabins, frequent flyer miles, (laughs) clothing, skills, talents, name it. What do we have that can be used as a tool to be leveraged for eternity? How can I use these things, these tools, to make a difference in people's lives for eternal purposes? And if we can't leverage our stuff for eternity, should we even have it? Should we even have it? See, managers ask a different question than owners ask. Managers ask, Lord, what would you have me do with your treasure? And here's the second thing I want you to remember this morning. Worldly treasure is a test of ownership. And that's among the reasons that we're offering Financial Peace University, because you need to settle this matter. The first test of faith is what I'm going to do with the skittles that God, the owner, has entrusted to me. So how are you doing with that test? See, so many of us spend enormous amounts of time navel-gazing, asking the question, who am I? But the real key to discovering the answer to that question is to answer the question, whose am I? Who do I really belong to? And when I can answer that question correctly, I can gain a correct perspective, not only on who I am, but on who owns my stuff. What you think you own is really on loan. I read this quote just the other day. I found it in something I was reading. It said, There is no real joy in consumption, no fulfillment in collection, but everlasting joy in contribution. Are you living for the dot or for the line? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the annoying way that it speaks right down into our lives on things that we'd rather not talk about. But Lord, we know this, that your desire is not to get something from us, but to give something for us, which is blessing, which is peace, which is freedom. So Lord, would you teach us what it means to live not for the dot alone, but for the line, and to invest all that we are and all that we have in things that will matter for eternity. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.